You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. Chapter 6, uh, if you don't have a Bible on you, um, this incredibly good-looking usher at the back, who bears some resemblance to his father, um, is going to have some Bibles. So if you don't have a Bible, put up your hand, and uh, Ezra will get you one. Um, we want you to have God's Word open in front of you. Um, I have nothing for you. I have nothing of value. Um, it's God's Word that we want to come together um, to hear from Him. Um, just a bit of a, a heads up so you know what to expect over the next couple of weeks. Um, next Sunday, um, my wife and I will be off on a senior pastor and wives retreat. Uh, it's put on by the, the GCC, the Great Commission Collective. And, uh, and so um, that's the church planning network that we're a part of. Uh, and so we'll be away uh, getting poured into, spending some time uh, different sessions, spending time with other church planting brothers and sisters and, and uh, some biblical counseling there. It's just a fantastic opportunity that we have to do that. Uh, and so uh, I had hoped while we were away to have one of our local guys preach and just the way things played out, uh, that didn't come together. Uh, so next week, um, a young guy, uh, maybe some of you will know him, Jared Carey, uh, will be here preaching. Uh, he is uh, a pastoral intern at Calvary Grace Church in Calgary, uh, seeking to uh, go into the ministry someday and just looking for opportunities to preach. And so um, I'm, I'm eager to hear uh, from him. I'm sure he will uh, faithfully open God's word. Um, but uh, yeah, welcome him when he comes. Uh, the following week, the 29th, we will be back into the book of Genesis. So I'm excited for that. Um, I, uh, I get itchy when we get out of a book for too long. Uh, and so looking forward to, to making progress, working our way through the book of Genesis um, but this week, um, we are going to return to uh, prayer and looking at um, the, the topic of prayer. Um, our hope every year is that we, we begin the year being reminded of um, our, our need to pray, being called back again to, to humble dependence on the Lord. And so um, to some degree, we're actually going to pick off, kind of pick up where we left off Last week, um, if you remember, we uh, looked last week, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 11, talked about how God uses the, the struggles and the, and the trials in our lives to help um, show us our, our weakness, drive us to our knees and see our need for the Lord. And how uh, true prayer begins there, begins in our weakness and, and is built on God's strength and, and then um, leads to the blessing uh, of God being worshipped. That's, that's the focus that Paul ended on in that section. Um, verse 11, he said to the Corinthians, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So Paul is calling them uh, to pray for him, to join in prayer. And, and his goal is that, that many people will pray so that when God answers and blesses, many people would give thanks. It would overflow in, in worship. Um, that's the, the end goal of Paul's call to prayer is come and worship. We are weak. He is strong. Let's pray. God gets the glory. So why do you pray? Why do we pray? Think about that. What do you hope to gain when you pray? What do you hope will happen when you pray? Think just back to your last prayer that you said. Hopefully it's not that long ago. Um, why did you pray? What was your heart longing for in that moment? Um, maybe it was a really brief prayer and you never really got beyond, beyond you know, hoping your car didn't go in the ditch. Um, maybe it was a prayer for a, um, an, an ailing grandparent and your, and your hope was just to spend a little more time with them. Um, maybe it was for a wayward child, wanting them to return to the, to the Lord and to the family. Why do you pray? Why, what drives our prayer? Um, it's interesting. Paul ends his call to prayer um, pointing to the worship of God. 
And uh, we're going to see this morning, Jesus begins his teaching on prayer, pointing to the worship of God. How much of the time do we spend uh, praying focused on and, and saturated with worship? Worship. I want to look with me at um, Matthew chapter 6, um, just verse 9. And uh, we're going to do something maybe a little different this morning. This, this is the Lord's Prayer. Um, this is a passage that we're all familiar with. Some of you, I'm sure, know it by heart or pretty close to it. Um, and so um, this is a, a section the church has been reciting together since its, its earliest day. So um, in a moment, I want to invite you to stand, and we're just going to read the Lord's Prayer or recite the Lord's Prayer um, together. Um, I know we'll, we'll all be in maybe different translations. That's okay. We'll bumble through. It's close enough. Um, just for clarity, um, we're going to stick to what's written in Matthew. So we're going to stop at the end of verse 13. We won't add the, the traditional for, uh, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. We'll, we'll leave that off this morning. We'll just stick with what's here in Matthew. So um, would you stand and uh, in your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Um, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we come to you this morning humbled before you in our weakness, eager to see your strength at work. God, open our eyes this morning to see your glory. Lord, that we would be able to pray with new um, passion and zeal, hallowed be your name, that we would understand what that means. God, that you would um, transform our hearts, um, fix our hearts on, on the worship of your name, that, um, that our prayers might be brought, uh, brought to life and, and animated by the worship of your name, Father. Lord, I pray... Um, now for uh, your word being preached, God, that you, would, that you would speak through me, that you would work through me. God, that if there's anything that I have to say that is not true to your word, that's not faithful to what you have said, God, that those words would be discarded and, and forgotten and left behind, but that your word would go forward, Father. I pray that you would build your church in us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And maybe, maybe seated. Well, it's often pointed out as we come to this section of Scripture um, that it is, uh, it's kind of properly been titled the Lord's Prayer. That's, that's what we know it as. Uh, and yet, probably would be better to refer to it as the disciples' prayer. Um, the Lord's Prayer, that's, that's John 17. That's Jesus' prayer, him praying for us. This section here uh, is the Lord teaching his disciples how to pray. He's saying to the, the disciples, this is how you ought to pray. And, uh, and the church has. This is probably, if I had to guess, I, I, I can't think of another passage that would have been recited more frequently throughout church history than this one. Um, and yet, uh, we've talked about this before, looking at the Lord's Prayer. Um, I, I don't think that's entirely how it was intended to be used, right? Um, it's not wrong to recite it or to, to say the words together as we, as we just did. It's, it's scripture. It's beautiful. It's rich. It's, it's great to have that unity together as we pray. Um, but if you just back up a little bit in Matthew 6, um, verse 5 and verse 7, I think, are informative. Verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. And down to seven, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. And so um, he warns of, of the hypocrites who who use prayer as an opportunity for pride, for their own glory to be seen, uh, and, and the Gentiles, who just repeat empty, hollow words. Um, Jesus' prayer is not to be empty, hollow repetition. 
Uh, it's not supposed to be um, repeating a phrase from rote memory. That's, that's not the heart of what, what prayer ought to be. Um, and so with that introduction, I think it seems pretty obvious that Jesus doesn't intend um, to say, when you pray, recite these words. That, that's not the point of this passage. Again, not wrong to do, but that's not what he's trying to teach here. Rather, Jesus is saying, I think when you pray, here's a model to follow. Here's a, here's a framework that you can use to, to guide your prayers. And so we look a little deeper into the, the topics and the flow here. I think that's very instructive uh, as we seek to learn how to pray. Um, if you were here last week, we handed out this little book on Mass 21 Days to Transforming Prayer. Um, it is all about how to pray um, according to the Lord's Prayer, how to, how to follow that pattern, how to see that rhythm and, and, and pray that way. Um, we bought them in bulk and they do us no good sitting in a box here. So take one. If you didn't get one last week, take it. If you're a visitor with us, we're glad to have you take it. Um, let's, uh, let's get those out of, out of boxes and into people's hands um, as we seek to learn to pray um, more fully, more true to what Christ has taught us to do. So um, this morning, um, I want to just look at this, this first line, this first instruction from the Lord um, that I think ought to transform the way we pray. Very briefly, um, let's just answer the first question. Jesus says, uh, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And obviously we, we could spend a ton of time there, but, but this morning, just looking at that one phrase, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? And, and how, how should that instruction from the Lord change and, and inform and, and fill up the way that we pray? Very briefly, let's just answer the first question. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? What does that mean? Um, hallowed is a good old-fashioned word. Any, anybody use the word hallowed in conversation this week? Come on. Nobody? What if we were to search your like text message history or email history for the word hallowed? Would that show up for anybody? No, nobody? Um, it's not a common word, but apparently um, the recent translators have not found a better one to replace it, and, and that's okay. It just means we need to learn a little bit. Um, we need to be informed about the language of Scripture. That's, that's a normal thing to have to do. Um, hallowed comes from the word holy. Uh, it means set apart, properly revered, honored, right? You, you, that's the only place someone might use it nowadays is the, the hallowed halls of, I don't know, Harvard University in their old building or something like that. Um, it's this kind of revered, respected thing. Um, and of course, name here um, means so much more than just name in the, in the simple way that we might think of it. Um, kind of Hebrew thought, Hebrew culture, someone's name represented who they were, right? It's right at the core uh, of their, their character, your reputation, right? We still kind of use that, someone's good name, who, who they're known to be. Uh, and so you were your name, and your name was you. And so as Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, um, he tells them step one is worship. Um, that's point one here for us this morning. Um, worship gives prayer its foundation. Gives prayer its foundation. First of all, worship gives prayer its foundation because, because God is worthy. It's just as simple as that. God is worthy. It's the most fundamental, foundational thing that we could say about prayer, and yet um, I remember first coming to understand that, um, and, and it totally rocked my prayer life. It changed the way I had to think about prayer. I grew up in the church. I grew up going to uh, Sunday night prayer meetings, and, 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 um, and yet this, this was revolutionary for me. I'd always heard, right, from kind of youth group days, I'm sure you had too, this kind of problematic, this idea of like the grocery list prayer, like there's something wrong with, with kind of coming to God and just unloading all the things that we want. Um, and so we know that's, that's not the goal. That's not what prayer should be. Um, the problem was um, I didn't have an alternative. I didn't know what the option was. I didn't know what else to do. And so um, if you had asked me back then why I prayed, I probably could have dressed it up with some nice kind of theological, spiritual window dressing, but the bottom line would have been, because hey, I need God to do some stuff, and I need God to provide some stuff. I, I need those things, and so I, I need to pray. 
And again, that's not wrong in and of itself. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He, he expects that we would ask for those things. But the foundation for prayer is not that we need things, but that, that God's word, God's name, sorry, is worthy to be hallowed, to be honored. The foundation of prayer comes down to the, the first of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. God is primary. He's number one. He's at the top. Nothing can be placed above him, and, and that should be true of our prayers. This is what makes that, that kind of prosperity gospel so vile. Those who would say, trust in God and then you'll be rich. Trust in God and then you'll get power and influence. Um, trust in God and, and then your life will be happy and healthy and hunky-dory. Um, that teaching makes the things of this world into a God and, and makes, makes God then our, our concierge to help us in our idolatry. It's horrible. And yet, honestly, it's not terribly far from how many of us, probably all of us, very naturally approach prayer. True prayer, the, the prayer that Jesus calls us to, um, prayer that, that fulfills the, the, the great uh, first commandment, begins with the fact that, that God himself, not his gifts, not his promises, not his blessings, but God and God himself, are the first and ultimate focus and goal of why we pray. John Stott put it this way, the, the essence of Christian prayer is to seek God. To seek God. Not, not to seek things from God, but to seek God. John MacArthur put it this way, contrary to much emphasis in the evangelical church today, true prayer, like true worship, centers on God's glory, not man's need. It is not simply to lay claim on God's promises, much less to make demands on him, but to acknowledge his sovereignty and to see the display of his glory. The foundation for prayer, according to Jesus, is that God is holy. The greatest and, and, and the, the greatness and the, and the goodness of God, his, his faithfulness, his, his infinite and unimaginable worth. Regardless of what we get out of it, regardless of what we need or don't need in our lives, the most basic reason for prayer is that God is worthy to be sought after. And therefore, our first and foremost goal in prayer must be um, that his name would be hollowed. He would be, uh, that he would be honored, that he would be lifted high in our hearts, in our world. And, and we'd be foolish to think that that would be easy. It's not. It's not. It's hard. It's really hard. Uh, in fact, I would venture to say uh, it's impossible. The first of the Ten Commandments, there are no other gods before me. The first and greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the first instinct of the sinful heart is what? To attempt to push God off his throne and take its place. To insert ourselves as God. Our first and most natural prayer uh, is not, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, but, but my will be done, my kingdom come. We are in such desperate need of grace. To even begin to approach prayer um, outside of the, the work of Christ on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, the Holy Spirit's application of that work, giving us new life, transformed hearts. We, we lack even the most basic ability to see God as holy. We don't have it. Deuteronomy 29 has a pretty clear example of this. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. So 
Israel had seen it. They were, they were there. They were in Egypt when God did these amazing signs and wonders and destroyed Pharaoh. I think this is, I, I think it's not too much to say, this is like the single greatest display of God's glory um, between creation and the cross. And they saw it. Look at the next verse, verse 4. Moses says to them, But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. They saw God's glory. They saw the things that he did, but not really. Not really. They didn't truly appreciate it. They needed the Lord to to give them a heart to understand and eyes to see it and ears to hear it. Only by the work of God in us do we have the ability even to hallow his name. And even then, as we come to prayer, we need to begin with this as our first and primary request, asking with regards to our own hearts, oh Lord, hallowed be your name. Lord, hallowed be your name in in my heart right here, right now. I need this. God, by your mercy, give me a heart to understand. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear of your holiness, your greatness, your glory. Awaken my heart. That's the antidote to the false prayer of the the hypocrites and the Gentiles. The the hypocrites' prayer was was all about them showing off. It was, look at me. It was uh, all about them. Gentiles' prayer was all about these empty words with no meaning, just doing this task, checking off the the list. The disciples' prayer is, oh, Lord, hallowed be your name in my heart. It's radically different. Ask the Lord for it. That's That's where we begin. That's why Jesus starts us here. God, make your name holy in my heart and and then walk it out. Live in it. Uh, it, Give God the credit of of expecting him to answer. Thank him. Praise him. Honor him. Rehearse to him uh, his his goodness and and his glory. Begin in, in worship. I would encourage you, use the Bible in that. Prayer and the word ought to be to us like breathing in and breathing out, right? You, you don't isolate them. I don't spend an hour breathing in and then an hour breathing out. Um, it's rhythmic. Read a passage of scripture. As you do, just, just draw out every evidence of the glory of God. See his faithfulness there. See his kindness there. See his mercy there. See his justice there and, and worship him for it. Worship gives prayer its foundation as we come to him in wonder and honor for his name. Secondly then, worship gives prayer its force. Worship gives prayer its force. On on the one hand, um, it gives prayer its force by reminding us that God can answer, that he's able, that he can do it. As we praise him for his power and his might, as we begin our time in prayer, just focusing our hearts on the magnitude and the glory and the wonder of who God is, we're preparing ourselves to move toward asking. And and in worship, we're we're kind of reaffirming in our own hearts that this, this, who, who is this God that I'm praying to? What's he about? What's he really like? Is God a God who is, who is able to do it? Is it worth bringing my request to him? Well, if he is this amazing, glorious creator God, I think it is. He's able. Our problems begin to shrink in size. Our our needs look pretty insignificant as we we meditate on the, the vastness of the glory of God. And so the force of prayer is increased in worship, um, as it grows us in faith. The book of James um, emphasizes the role that, that faith plays in our prayers. Um, James 1.6, speaking of the, the prayer for wisdom, uh, he writes, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. We don't, we don't want that to be us. 
Ask in faith. Ask believing that God can do it. James 5.15 says this of praying for the sick. He says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. The, the Lord answers prayers made in faith. And worship gives prayer its force as, as it increases and builds our faith in the Lord. So worship reminds us that God can answer. Secondly, worship um, gives prayer its force because the prayer of worship is the prayer that God will answer. The prayer of worship is the prayer that God will answer. This isn't meant to be just an opening phrase, an introduction, um, the first petition that we just kind of then leave behind, hallowed be your name. Now now what's next? Hallowed be your name uh, is the entrance into true prayer. Again, it's the the foundation of it all. When you build a house, um, you, you don't just lay the foundation and then move on. Foundation's done, check, we'll put the house over here now. No. No, you, you, you continue building on the foundation, and, and every part of the house is directly uh, affected by and connected to the foundation. The foundation gives the house its shape. The foundation sets the, the limits and the boundaries to the house. The, the foundation gives the house its, its stability and its strength. And so it is with worship and prayer. Every other petition in this prayer is to be built on and anchored in that first petition. It is to be anchored in, hallowed be your name. And it's worship that gives prayer its force, its power, because the prayer for God to be honored is the prayer that God's going to answer. God will be glorified. I know we've hit on this a few times, but it's, it's so foundational. Um, you have to understand this. God's highest purpose, his, his greatest passion, his ultimate end goal in everything is the display of his glory. It's a constant refrain throughout Scripture. You start looking for it, you're going to see it on every page. That's why the first commandment is to, to glorify God above all else. Uh, that's why the, the greatest, um, uh, sorry, the, 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 the God created the world as this display of his glory, right? Psalm, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God rescued Israel from Egypt uh, to display his glory. Exodus 14, 4 and, and verse 18 says, um, God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God rescued Israel as this display of his glory. Isaiah 48, 9-11 is emphatic Listen to what the Lord says to Israel. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it from you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God says, No, I'm going to do this because I am going to display my glory. I'm going to have mercy on you because I will not give my glory to anyone else. God created for his glory. He rescued and and preserved Israel for his glory. Um, Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again for the glory of God. Philippians 2, 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all all flowing up to the glory of God. It's all about the greatness of the display of God's glory. That's what God is doing in this world. No matter what 
situation you find yourself in, the, the, the context that you're looking at in the world, um, the ultimate answer to what is God doing, the answer is he's, he's displaying his glory. We, we may not understand fully how, but he's displaying his glory. So how do we pray with force? Well, we, we pray uh, prayers that, that are shaped by that foundation of worship. Instead of praying that God would honor me and serve me, prayers that invite God to glorify himself. And that's exactly what we're commanded to do, right? And we know that um, because we do it all the time. We have this habit um, when we pray. It's a good habit. It's something we we absolutely should do. Um, We just should be a little more aware of what we're doing when we do it. Um, It is our custom when we pray to finish our prayers with the words, in Jesus' name, amen. Why do we do that? What does that even mean? Well, if God's ultimate plan and and purpose is to glorify himself and Philippians 2 and numerous other places, the, the apex of that plan to glorify himself is the exaltation of Jesus Christ, then the prayers that will be answered are the prayers that that God would be glorified in Jesus Christ. Two key passages on God answering prayer. No doubt you're familiar with these. John 16, 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I will give it to you. Jesus said, pray in my name. Another familiar passage, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we ask of him. So if we ask in the name of Jesus, if we ask according to his will, God answers. But praying in Jesus' name is, is not, it's not just an empty phrase. Right? Like these aren't magic words that just kind of ignite God's power and, and set things into motion. What we're saying is when we pray in Jesus' name, we're, we're claiming to be praying as a, as a representative of Jesus. We're, 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 we're leaning on the, the power, the influence, the authority of the name of Christ in our prayer. And so it's not enough to just say the words. Think of Maybe back to the days of kings and kingdoms. If you came into town saying, I am here in the name of the king, you had power. You had authority. In fact, you had all of the authority of the king himself. But he's only acting in the name of the king so far as he does and says what is accurately representing the king, right? As soon as he begins to step out of line from the king and do his own thing, maybe he begins to make himself the ruler. He starts collecting taxes and tariffs, and rather than sending them back to the king, he's collecting them for himself. He's turning this section of the kingdom into his own territory. He's not acting in the name of the king anymore. He might say so. He might try to wield that power, but he's, but he's wrong or lying. What do you think that king will do when he finds out that one of his, one of his uh, emissaries has gone out in his name and, and made his own kingdom? He's going to gather his army. He's going to destroy that wicked ambassador. He's going to reclaim that region of his kingdom for his own. And so to ask to pray in the name of Jesus, same thing as saying um, according to his will, if we're going to end our prayers saying, in Jesus' name, amen, we better be careful to be asking for things that are in line with God's will. We ought to be praying for things that actually truly represent God's intentions. When we say, in Jesus' name, amen, that that, amen simply means, let it be done, let it be so. That phrase is meant to be an intentional act of submission on our part laying our prayers out before the Lord and saying, Lord, take my prayers and answer them uh, as you see fit. 
Answer them according to, to your will, according to the name of Jesus. That's, that's the, the framework within which I'm submitting these requests to you. Again, it's a great habit to have if it's more than just a habit, if it actually has meaning behind it. When you pray, if we begin in worship, begin uh, our, our, our time in prayer asking the Lord to awaken our own hearts to see His, His glory rightly, praying that His glory would be, would be hollowed in our own hearts and minds, praising and worshiping Him for who He is and, and what He has done, and then let that form and, and shape our prayers. Let that be the ruling principle. And so then as, as you come to, to praying for your, your daily bread and praying for, for forgiveness before God and, and praying for protection against temptation, um, praying that it would all be done to the glory of God, submitting ourselves to, to God's will. Simple phrase that, that is helpful, I think, in in trying to keep our minds focused as they ought to be, uh, two small words, just so that. Try just adding a few more so that's into your prayer life. Just to, to cause us to pause and think, why am I asking for this? Can I truly ask for this in, in Jesus' name? God, would you provide for me a job so that, huh, why am I asking for this job? Why do I need this job? Or do I? God, would you provide for me a job so that I can honor you in my work? Now, would you provide for me a job so that, so that you would be glorified as the God who provides in my life? Now, would you provide for me a job so that, so that my children would see you answer and they would come to know you and, and trust in you? That little so that... Um, turns us back to worship, reminds us to, to consider why am I asking for these things? And in that, our prayers have force. Now, if you're a skeptic, if you're a little bit critical, you might say, well, you're just trying to trick God here, right? Asking for what you want and, and then trying to misdirect God, but do it for your glory because that's what I want. Um, if that's your heart behind it, yeah, God is not easily fooled. Um, you may, you may want to rethink that strategy. The proper heart behind it, though, is not that we're tricking God into, into doing our thing, but rather we're bringing our hearts first to worship, anchoring our prayers in worship, and, and then our hearts ought to be brought to a place where we're, we're genuinely seeking and asking for things that, that are in line with, with what the Lord desires. They're in line with His glory. Begin praying, Lord, would you, would you give me that Ferrari? And then you try to attach the so that, and it gets tricky. And eventually you have to say, maybe there's some deeper needs here. Maybe, maybe God's glory in my life is going to work out in a different way. It's not that God moves, it's, it's us who move. You're not making God do what you want. You're, you're bringing what you want in line with what God is doing. So worship gives prayer its force building our faith that, that God can answer. He's the great and glorious God. Transforming our prayers in, into prayers that God will answer. But thirdly, in, in, in kind of an unexpected way, worship gives prayer its force as worship itself becomes the transforming power that answers our prayers. Worship is the answer, often, very often. The very act of engaging in worship as we pray, fixing our hearts, our eyes on, on the glory of God, um, it is, is transformative in our own souls. It, it changes us. And so, not only will it change the way you pray and, and what you ask for, it will change you. So that sometimes the things that we were asking for become irrelevant. Paul is a great example of this. prayed three times. The Lord would remove the, the thorn in his flesh. Whatever that was, he, he wanted it gone. Take it away, Lord. Then look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This happens. But he, the Lord, said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast 
all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul prayed, God, remove the thorn, take it away. And instead, the Lord granted Paul a bigger vision of his glory. He opened Paul's eyes to see the the, the sufficiency of God and his grace and the, the wonder of God's power in this situation. And what happened? Paul is no longer praying, Lord, remove the thorn. Quite the contrary. Instead, he's he's boasting about the thorn. He's rejoicing in it. What changed? Worship. Worship changed the whole situation. Changed Paul. In prayer, Paul took that situation that he was in, brought it into the light of God's glory, specifically of God's grace and God's power, And the glory of God so transformed Paul that that even though in one sense you could say the Lord did not answer Paul's prayer, Paul would say, oh yes, he did. Absolutely he did. As Paul had his eyes open to see that there are two ways that God could be glorified through this thorn. One way is that God could remove it and be seen as the God who who rescued from trial, who who removed this burden. The the other way was to leave it, but to so strengthen and transform Paul's heart um, by a vision of his glory that even with the thorn, he could still stand and say, God is good. God is so good that even if he leaves this thorn but gives me more of himself, I will worship him. I will thank him for it. I'll be thrilled with that. So Paul boasts, he, he brags and rejoices, not because, of the, not because the situation has changed, but because his heart has changed. Um, I won't go too far into it, but an, another example would be Philippians 4.13, one of the most misused passages in all of Scripture today, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can win a football game, I can run a marathon, I can start a business, I can endure anything because of Christ who strengthens me. But what is Paul saying? He's saying... Hold on a second. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, but I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I know in any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Looking at the the glory and the strength of God, Paul says, "Uh, I can do anything. I could starve to death through him who strengthens me and be content. I don't see that used that way very often. That's what Paul's saying. That that bigger view of the glory of God transforms the the way that we see things, the way that we understand our our lives. Worship gives prayer its foundation. Worship gives prayer its force. When you pray, begin with that focusing your heart on the glory of God. Spend some time with him, right? Pause. Don't, don't, just, don't just jump to the give us this daily bread. Spend some time in, God, you are great. I see your goodness here. I see your faithfulness there. Lord, as I'm looking at the scripture, I see your, your power and your, the wonder of who you are. Just worship. And then as you move forward, um, bend every request to serve that one great singular purpose that God would be glorified in Christ Jesus. Looking to his goodness and his glory. And God will be at work. Maybe in changing your situation, maybe in changing your heart, but God will be glorified through your prayers. He will answer that prayer. Worship gives prayer its foundation. Worship gives prayer its force. Finally, worship makes prayer into a feast. We pray because we're needy. We need all kinds of things. We need clothing. We need shelter. We need food. We need relationships. We need security. We need health. But what we truly need is God himself. Jesus instructs us to to come to prayer praying, hallowed be your name, because, because that's what our soul truly needs. In the grand scheme of eternity, none of those other things are needs. I don't need food. I need to learn to honor and glorify God. 
and, and over the scope of eternity and another 40 years on this planet or an extra 40 years in glory will not change the scope of that. I need him. That's what I, what I truly need. And so Jesus instructs us to pray. Hallowed be your name. This is a, uh, it's kind of a subversive nature to this request because he knows. He knows, as Calvin would later say, the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. We just crank out new idols every day, right? We were made to worship. And, and so uh, we were made to give honor and adoration to something, and there's no escaping it. Right? The drug addict worships his heroine. The romantic worships his partner. The bodybuilder worships his, his physique or the attention that he gets from others because of it. Um, we all hollow something, a person, a job, an image, uh, money, sex, power, comfort. Um, the options are innumerable, but not one of them will satisfy. Not one of them will be enough. We seek after these things with the, the delusion that if I could just grasp it, if I could just get there, that little bit more money, that little bit better vacation, that little bit better spouse, if I could just get that, then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd have what I need. Then I would have fulfillment and meaning and, and purpose, and all of it fails. All of them leave us empty and wanting more. Because that's not what we were created for. We were created for him. We were created to find our, our life and our joy and our satisfaction in a relationship with, with the infinite, eternal, all-glorious God, and nothing can compete with that. John 17, 3, Jesus says this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. That's, a, that's a, Jesus' definition of eternal life is to know God in Jesus Christ. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he did not die so that you would have a longer life on earth. He didn't die so that you could have a, a good job or a, or a happy marriage. He didn't die so that you could be healed from your health issues. Infinitely greater than all of those. 1 Peter 3.18 for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's why he died. Some of those things are going to be wrapped up in that. There's, there's blessings there. But that's why he died, to bring us to God. In the words of John Piper, God is the gospel. The good news the heart, the, the wonderful thing that, that Jesus died so that we could have it, it's God. Jeremiah 2.13 puts it this way. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We, we sinfully push God off his throne, and then try to replace him with something else, some broken, leaky cistern that doesn't even hold water, some weak, temporal replacement. Jesus died to bring us to God, to restore us, to, to reconcile us to himself. And the prayer that begins and ends with, hallowed be your name, is, is how we live in that reality. That's how we engage and, and walk in the goodness of God. Go back to John Stott, um, just to give a little more of that quote from before. He says, the, the essence of Christian prayer is to seek God. Behind all true prayer lies the conversation which God initiates, and he quotes Psalm 27. Thou hast said, seek my face. My heart says to thee, thy face, Lord, do I seek. That's it. God says, seek me. And so my heart says, God, I will seek you. When you pray, are you seeking the face of God? Why do we pray? What is your heart longing for as you come to pray? Are we, are we seeking him? Are you coming into his banquet hall, distracted by, by moldy table scraps on the floor? Or are we seeking after him as the master of the banquet? 
He's prepared a feast. He is the feast that our souls need. Worship makes prayer into an indulging in that feast as we see and and partake and and delight in the goodness of who he is. We engage in in true, meaningful relationship with him. We, We learn to drink from the fountain of living water. We need it. Worship makes prayer into a feast for our souls. It's that simple, but it's not easy. It's hard. It's hard. It's a battle. It's so easy here to have this like warm, fuzzy feeling like, yes, tomorrow morning is going to be this just delightful feast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up early. I'm going to sit down on my couch. I'm going to pray, hallowed be thy name. And, and, and sparkly dust is going to fall and a nice warm light is going to glow. And it's just going to be, oh, euphoric. I've been chewing on this passage for a while now. I've been trying to lean into these promises and trying to, trying to continue to, to, to walk in this and, and uh, I haven't gotten any warm glowing lights or angels singing in my morning prayer time. I'm sorry. I don't want you to get your hopes up. It's hard. It takes work. I still get three minutes into trying to worship God and all of a sudden I'm thinking about, well, I wonder if there's any emails in my inbox because that really matters right now. We're still so prone to default, um, to want to use prayer like the hypocrites for our own glory. Or like the Gentiles, just, we just start talking and rambling on because it's the right thing to do. Um, just empty words. I wish it was easy. I wish it was a matter of just a, a flick of a switch and say the right words. Um, but God intends to be glorified in it. He's over that as well. He calls us to seek after him, to do the hard work, to continue to to press in. Prayer will continue to be hard. It will continue to be a struggle to set aside that time to to guard it, to be be focused. And, And absolutely, we grow in that over time. And there is a richness and a beauty there, but it's hard. And yet, I believe, I'm more confident now than ever that God has called us to seek his face. So I want to continually seek his face. And if some days I just fail at that, then I'm going to try again the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. Because worship gives prayer this foundation, because worship gives prayer this force, and because worship makes prayer into a feast that my soul needs. Let us continue to press in in our prayers to pray, Lord, hallowed be your name. And expect. Expect to be changed. Expect to be filled. Expect to be satisfied in the glory of God. Would you pray with me?